It's planting season, and it's not too late to make sure your crops grow up fed and happy. Regardless of your spring crop, Fed and Happy offers a variety of worm-casting solutions in liquid and solid form to supercharge your soil, your yields, and your profitability. For fast, vibrant germination and seedling growth, mix your seed with Fed and Happy's screened granular castings pre-drilling. The Fed and Happy liquid seed treat and extracts offer the ideal mix of soluble solids loaded with living beneficial biology, mycorrhizal fungi, humates, and more. The Fed and Happy small spreadable castings are ideal for fast, easy soil incorporation. The large offer long-term stability and soil growth. But you don't have to figure this out on your own. Just call 833-GO-WORMS to speak with our farm team experts for a fast turnaround on a custom solution for your needs. Fare better against pests, disease, drought, and other potential hazards this season with Fed and Happy Worm Castings. Visit FedandHappy.com for a healthy harvest and any lawn, garden, and tree care needs. Available for pickup and on-farm delivery. That's F-E-D-N-Happy.com. Or call 833-GO-WORMS. Happy planting. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, your host and Cannabis Lifestyle Guide. After five years of living in California, I finally set out on a solo road trip to explore the cannabis culture in various parts of the Emerald Triangle. My first stop was at Turtle Creek Ranch in Mendocino County, home of Nikki and Swami, co-founders of the Swami Select brand of craft cannabis flowers. Nikki Lestretto is a respected cannabis journalist, a flower judge for the Emerald Cup since its beginnings in 2003. She was a journalist for many years, a designer of sacred spaces, a world traveler, and she is a strong voice for women in shaping the cannabis culture. I've had a lady boss crush on Nikki for a really long time, and she's got a really great voice. This woman is a badass, and I'm excited to introduce you to her. Swami Chet Anya is a practitioner of regenerative agriculture. He, too, is an Emerald Cup judge. He's on the steering committee of the Mendocino Appalachian Project, and he is president of the Mendocino Cannabis Industry Association, a community of industry professionals dedicated to preserving and promoting Mendocino's heritage of producing world-class cannabis and cannabis products. Swami was initiated in India in 1998 and combines his spiritual and farming practices. Enjoy the conversation. It goes all over the place. I wanted you to be able to wrap your mind around the authentic Mendocino cannabis culture from two of my favorite OGs. And I got to admit, the smoking two Swami joints in the process kind of helped me not have any control over the conversation. We were just flowing. So settle in. And if you aren't already casually baked, get prepared to get that way because we are smoking with Swami. 
I got the bottle of wine, the high dollar kind. I got the West Coast smoke, but I better just take one. Well, we're pot snobs. <laughs> pot snob. I'm a pot yeah. snob too. You're a pot snob too. Well, yes. see, it's our job as judges in the Emerald Cup. We have to be. We have to maintain both our our discrimination, our discriminatory uh, judgment, but also we have to maintain our dosage throughout the year. Right. <laughs> so we can't ever slack off, and we always have to make sure we are able to do the full on. Because during the middle of the cup, in the past years, we've had to smoke eighteen or twenty joints in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and how we do you have, smoke all of them, but and be able to differentiate? I mean, we kind of you can take out the ones that don't look any good or don't have any smell. Just don't even bother. But still, you know, now you're smoking the best cannabis in the world that people have entered here, and you still have to be able to differentiate and tell right. what you yeah. like. So tell me how you do that because I have I lived with a a, a winemaker when I first moved to Hillsburg, and so I learned all about you know, the nose and your palate and like, what's the first word that comes to mind after you right, smell this wine? Right, you right. know, That's what we That's do. exactly okay. what we do. In fact, we really do relate to wine because uh, one of the things we do before the Emerald Cup, we, we go and read the reviews of the new wine releases, right? And usually the Chronicle or some newspaper has a whole list of, you know, 25 or 30 different wines and little capsule reviews of each one of those wines, you know. It's got a little black currant, you know, nose. It's got a flinty after, all that kind of stuff, right? And so we just say, well, I can say the same thing about cannabis, right? And Yeah, no, the wine world has taught us a lot about how to judge as well. But then again, it's different because you don't exactly have stinky socks and some yeah. of the smells we get you with get cannabis you don't get with wine, obviously. Wine. So, well, but see, another it, difference also with wine is you almost always spit out the, 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 right. the, the, the mouthful. And otherwise, you get blotso, right? But we actually have to judge the effects as well, right? So that's why we, a lot of joints we don't actually really, we'll take one puff and that's all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so then how do you judge that feeling once you've you've tried a couple like, you know, like when you're smelling something, you can smell coffee beans and it kind of or smell your skin and yeah. it right. resets your palate. How do you do that for that? Well, we do sometimes sensation. do coffee beans and we no, often no, no, coffee, not for the palate, for, I mean, but for, for the, the feeling down the effects. So oh. um, what we would do is basically we we might we don't do more than three in a row before taking a break. And. Um, we also eat something, go out and take a walk, just do like that, just kind of reset your brain that way. It's working just fine. You know, get on a phone call, totally distract your, use your other side of your brain Mm -hmm. for a second. And the other thing is that say you're doing three of them and the first two are pretty good, but you smoke that third one and you're suddenly, whoa, that means it's good because you felt it through the others. Right. But also some of the others, uh, we say we do three, but we might actually look at two and they're just not really worth smoking. Because they look really scraggly, the bud, it's a very poor trim, lots of leaf on it or crow's feet or something like that. And so, you know, Nikki's more the judge of that because she's been the trimmer, right? So you want it to be trimmed nicely, right? Mm-hmm. And then so some things are eliminated just on, on the look alone, right? Or we'll even look at the trichomes under a microscope and see that, well, wow, look at this. The trichomes are missing their tops. Right. And then we say, what did they do to do that, right? And so you say, well... Maybe that's not even worth smoking. But so it, we eliminate some on just the look alone because it's going to have to be in the in the showcase, right? As number one, right? Mm-hmm. And so then the next thing we do is terpenes, right? The the fragrance. And that's where we actually eliminate quite a few because if there's hardly any fragrance, then whoever it was just sort of 
didn't do something quite right, right? Because now we know how important the terpenes are. Right. Totally. So, and then we'll also get like 25 or 30 that'll be in the same kind of terpene range. And so out of that, you'll say, well, this one's really weak or not very complex or sophisticated. And out of that, say, 25 entries that'll smell like that, we'll pick three or four of those and the others, you know, get laid by the side. So if it doesn't look good and it doesn't smell, then we don't even go bother to roll it up. Right. Then once we roll it up in the process of rolling, then I can also see how dry it is, how oily it is or waxy, you know, that feeling Mm -hmm. you want with good good flour. And so then I can revise our uh, estimate of, of the, what we call the look because for us the look includes the cure. So if it's like really dry and flaky and dusty and so on, well, it's going to lose a point on the look maybe or a tenth of a point. And then if it's, a, um, if it's super, then we might even add or if it's a beautiful bud and it's beautiful and it just feels good when, when you're rolling it, right? And then, then we also take a dry hit. We didn't do it this time, but we take a dry hit right. of the of the rolled joint, right? Okay. Without lighting it, and that gives you kind of a terpene uh, reassessment, you might call it. Okay. And often it's the exact same. As yeah, what- that'll be usually the same. But when you get to the taste, it can be really different. So the um, which can be surprising because sometimes you'll have. Oh my God, this one smells so good. I can't wait to taste it. And then there's no taste. Yeah, it's just some, yeah. you just don't know sometimes. So to find the one for the winning one, it has to have the best of everything you know, the looks, the smell, the taste, and the effects. Well, and you know, once I tried the packs and the Firefly, and I was like, wow, I feel like I'm tasting cannabis for the first time yeah, now. Yeah, good, good. So, you know, I'm curious about if, whether or not during y'all's testing, if moving forward, if it might be something that you start vaporizing it like that. Oh, God uh, forfend. We, we never vaporize. We well, really see, only so smoke joints. Thing. But well, see, well, what are you doing with those? Are you getting added terpenes that are put in later? No. Uh-uh. I No, it's the flour. So I just... The Paxis flour. Yeah. Flour. So I just had started developing a little cough and I was like, okay, I need to stop smoking so much for a minute. And so I'd gotten a firefly, and I really enjoyed that. Huh. I don't and know what I, that one is. And that helps you cough, too? Go away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's like um, a packs where you can put actual flour into yeah. it. Yeah. It really is a thing where I could truly taste the flavor profile on a whole other level right. that I hadn't right. before, but it doesn't get me as high as I want to get either. Yes. Well, see, no, that, it's that, not that's, the same. I have a really, really elaborate theory about smoking a joint as opposed to anything else, and that goes to the fact with your vaporizer— you're going to get one or two little temperatures, right, on the vaporizer. Even a volcano or something where you can change the temperature, there's only mm-hmm. one or two different changes of temperature. But now when you start with a joint, especially if we take that dry hit before it's lit, you're already getting some terpenes that vaporize at room temperature, right? So you take a puff and already you're getting a little terpene, right? It's it room temperature. But then as the cherry, you light it. And now back at your mouthpiece where you're smoking it, it's like two degrees above room temperature because the heat of the cherry. Now, as the cherry moves through the joint, <coughs> it gets hotter and hotter and hotter at your mouthpiece. But what it is is in a continuous scale from room temperature to combustion, everything that's combusted at a different temperature gets into your vaporization. So okay. the only way to truly get everything in the natural cannabis right. plant is to smoke a joint. Well, and likewise, to smoke a joint that's not... <coughs> Too much THC. I mean, I know that sounds shocking, but you don't, you know, if you, especially like with vaping, when you've got these 90%, 80% something THC, right. yeah. you know, or even, you know, if you have a joints that are over 
you know, just regular flowers that are, say, over 23 or something, you're starting to diminish all of the other compounds, the possibilities of the effects of the other compounds. And it, it really is this combination kind of thing that happens when you yeah. mix up those compounds, which you get from smoking the joint because it keeps it all in its natural consistency of how it's supposed yeah. to be smoked. But even smoking yeah. a flower in a bowl, mm-hmm. you're really just flaming it. Yeah. Yeah. But in the joint, back here at the mouthpiece, it goes from room temperature in a continuous scale all the way up to combustion. We're just old hippies. We really like yeah, joints. We love to but we don't stuff. we don't even use but you filters, know what? you know. You've thought through it and you have a reason. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and I absolutely believe that, you know, I am that that I see before me. And so <laughs> we manifest our life. And so if that's the healthiest way to smoke, then that's the yeah. healthiest way for you to smoke. But see, yeah. also I, part of the thing is I smoke I roll a really fat joint. <laughs> so yeah. it smokes really yes. smooth and really mild. That's what you yes. call a grower's joint. Grower's joint. But yeah. it's also a swami joint. And a lot of people say, well, actually, I, 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 don't, I don't cough, right? Because, first of all, it's very properly cured in aged cannabis, and it's a big fat joint. And you're smoking a lot less paper. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and, and the aging well, thing's important, I hate, yeah. too. Yeah, I mean, first, yeah, there's no, we do not use filters. We believe in old roach clips because the filter, you taste the bleach paper or whatever yeah, kind of paper, yeah, it mm-hmm. still makes a barrier. It really does. <laughs> we are snobs. <laughs> you so really cute are little snobs. snobs. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're authentic snobs. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're... The summer of love is like actual memories for you. You can be pot snobs. Well, the other thing is we've both traveled a lot all over the world. And, uh, you know, we've sampled hashish in Nepal and in uh, various parts of Manali in India, you know, Afghanistan, uh, Chadas and so on. And, uh, you know, Lebanese and Moroccan, you know, we've kind of tasted all those different things throughout the years. Uh, you know, Kerala flower or whatever, Jamaican. So at a certain point, it's like, I kind of think we do know what we're talking about. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> Tell me, do you have um, a, a cannabis experience that kind of stands out for you as one of your favorites? Favorite? Well, could you imagine if we tried to add up how many joints we've smoked in our life? I mean, we shouldn't be bragging about this, but but it is medicine. This is what I'd say to that. This is just doesn't exactly answer that. But a realization I've had recently is that, I, you know, I'm realizing like how it helps people calm down and do the, yeah. and myself somehow. Okay, I got smoked my first joint at 14, and pretty much from that day on, got high. Mm-hmm. Not every day of my life, but I've been in countries where it's not allowed, you know. But mm-hmm. otherwise, and. It's almost like nobody was telling me it was medicine. No one called it medicine then. You know, it was an evil weed. But somehow I instinctively knew that it was medicine to me. Because I think otherwise, in today's world, they probably would have called me, oh, some combination of letters, IDHD or something. You know, something that, yeah, because I was just always going and busy and active. And and I know it helped me to calm down. But imagine if I didn't get high. She is a force of nature. <laughs> Imagine if I didn't. I, I know what, Nikki? Actually, the few days that you don't get high, it's I hell. don't want to think about it's more hell. than that. <laughs> no, seriously. I get so, I get, you know, then I think about everything I have to do. It's much better when oh, I yeah, just go yeah. with the flow. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, I microdose from the time I wake up in the morning till I go to bed. And of course, at night I have wine and, and just get full blown high. That's my <laughs> that's my favorite feeling, that okay. wine drunk and being high. I'm like, that's yeah, a good way to I'm, I'm uh, really more in favor of the coffee cannabis combination, but the vino cannabis, 
It's all so lovely for sure. Well, and I start my day with the the coffee, mm, cannabis, okay. meditation, mm. but it's okay. microdosing so my <laughs> so my meditation doesn't like spin out into something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's nice to, you know, we talk about the entourage effect with the cannabinoids and terpenes, but also layering cannabis with our experiences and our foods and our drinks. It's just, yeah. Actually, I keep saying this, uh, Nikki. Well, I like the word ensemble in -hmm. addition to entourage because ensemble really is like all different parts really having something active in the, in the, in the ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. Entourage is usually like one or two people leading everyone else around, right? Now, we do think that CBD and THC are the most important of the cannabinoids, but then we have all the terpenes and all the other cannabinoids. There's now, I, I saw at one conference, 536 identified compounds in cannabis. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's amazing that we don't really know so much about it. We're learning more and so, more. So I want to know when you first got high in Texas. I was an athlete and a star student, and so I did not get high until I was 19 years old. And I did it like once. When I turned 20, I started consuming pretty consistently. And then a few years in, I realized I was using it different than my friends. Like, uh-huh. You know, I would stop as, you know, we would be puff, puff, pass, and then I would just pass. And they, you know, you get that peer pressure. I'm like, I feel great. I don't need to be Uh, stupid. Right, right. I was microdosing before I knew what it was. Interesting. You know, and and then started experimenting with making oils and making treats. And I started trading with my personal trainer and my nutritionist in Austin. (laughs) I was making organic gluten-free treats. you pick up about not talking so much that you get stupid. And there is this whole stoner stereotype and so on. And... uh, uh, it still persists. It's part of the stigma that's always attached to cannabis that why is it called dope? Because you turn out to be a dope. You know, I think by and large, you don't fit the stoner stereotype. Exactly. That's why right. I do my show. Right. Right. And, so I'm trying to you know, change when you that. look at how much this woman gets accomplished, she doesn't commit the, you know, fit the stereotype at all. Well, and also the fact that you did sports. I love that. You know, you've got the well, that's 420 a, Olympics and all these mm-hmm. things. But that's that a new realization the now, the sports that, world, that yeah. they've known it for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just fun. starting well, to yeah, get out. Yeah. It's just starting. We've talked to a couple of professional football players who are very much into the cannabis movement because they needed it. Who's the guy that pitched? the whole what was it perfect game on acid baseball game no way that no yeah, that's yeah, awesome right. no, that really happened i'll google that, <laughs> <laughs> that really i don't know if it was a perfect game but it was a no hitter or something a no like hitter that. or something yeah yeah and then, but it was an amazing accomplishment because he he actually was supposed to have the day off Wow. Right, and the guy who was supposed to start called in sick, so he was the next pitcher up. He's like, so, "Oh shit! Yeah, oops, I just dropped." <laughs> okay, let's see if we can do this. I think it's a guy named Doc Ellis who was. No, I mean, this was the '80s. Yeah, that's yeah, so funny. But yeah, but how many of the you know yeah there see the thing is we live in a society that's permeated by all kinds of drugs. And, you know, for so many years, you'd drive along the street and you'd see this big sign that say drugstore. Yeah. Right? Drugstore. And what happened? You didn't feel good. You wanted to feel better. You go to the drugstore, right? And then the most popular drink was Coke. And it's like all of a sudden we realize that every one of our children has been indoctrinated to use Coke and go to the drugstore. And so why are you surprised that everybody actually is experimenting with these other chemicals? 
because we've been in – this is an absurd, yeah. absurd argument. I understand that. But I think there's a certain amount of that visual drugstore, drugstore, feel better, feel better. Yeah. I think it's just because society has gotten so intense and mm. there's – so much expected of us as humans now, so much stress, more than stress, you ever stress, was. Stress, yeah. That you know, we just—it's—it's the it's perfect time for the coming of age again of cannabis. I agree because uh. we need it to calm down, yeah, and to get in line and, and just get grounded. And even though it gets you high, it does get you grounded, right? Well, <laughs> and there are all of these constructs that we all just fall in line with, and then whenever you smoke cannabis. You pause and you like have this interaction with your larger self, and you're like, "Wait a minute, how does it do that?" I wonder. I don't. That was always that? my favorite bumper sticker back in the '60s was "Question Authority." Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it's just and like that's what oh, it does. Well, because it's just like everything is so fear-based, and we are controlled through this these fear messages. And I just cannabis was the thing that really helped open my mind and. Help me get heart centered and really clear on what my place is in my community, in my society, in my family. Wow! And so I well, really try to um, to use this as a platform to showcase, like, hey, there's another way to use cannabis, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's what it's medicine, whether you call it medicine or right, not. Right. Yeah, actually, for legal purposes, we really should start calling it medicinal. Yeah. Right, because the room at a certain point, the uh, whoever it is, the food and agro, no, the uh, DEA is going to want to put it through medical trials. Mm-hmm. But the understanding is that we've had about ten thousand years of outpatient medical trials for <laughs> cannabis, and <laughs> we've yet to find anyone who died from an overdose. Yeah. So. Um, but, you know, in that line, though, I do want to say that edibles, everybody out there, be careful of edibles. You always want to make sure you have your minimum, minimum dose with edibles and always wait at least an hour before you you bite into another one because edibles are the most unpredictable of all. And you're not going to die, but you're going to be kind of, shall we say, incapacitated. Well, it's, it's good that they're now only 10 milligrams yeah, each. in I California for sure, yeah. yeah. Um, there are people who need more than that because yeah. they're used to, they need that for the medicinal use of that dosage, and those people would get more. But if you're just on a, on a binge, I mean, you know, out with some friends and so on, don't eat a lot of edibles, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, who was it who said they I were going to make these delicious, you know, a package of four edibles, and only one of them would actually be dosed because that way you eat that <laughs> one first, and then you can still eat the others. Yeah. Because you actually want to eat them, right? Because yeah. yeah. they yeah. taste so good now. Yeah. yeah. But see, the other thing is we don't don't really normally deliver medicine in candy. Yeah. You know, most other medicine is not, you know, embedded in some sort of delicious tasting thing. And so we've done that now with cannabis because it's actually an age-old thing. There's a festival in India where they make cannabis candy for everybody. And uh, it's in the springtime usually when they throw the color or the, you know, that sort oh, of thing. Yeah. Well, many, many times the villagers will all get together and the elders will often smoke hash or charas. Or they, they drink the bung. And they drink bong, which yeah. is a you know banana, which is a cannabis smoothie. But also, they take the same stuff they used to make the bong, they bake with it. And so everybody will eat some sort of baked good that's you know loaded with with cannabis, and basically the whole village, the whole town, just gets elevated, right? Oh my God, and I love that. This is ancient. This yeah. goes back a long time, and even one of the great god of, of India, Shiva the one who uh, is a wild man living out in the wilderness up on Kailash, he drinks bong with all of his cohorts all the time, right? So it's very, very ancient, this stuff. 
<laughs> bong, yeah, that's a cannabis cannabis smoothie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. You ever done those? No, I haven't. Wow. I haven't. Oh, we we make some killers. Yeah. Bong, I don't go near that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, you definitely see the thing with with an edible is what can happen is that you can have an out of body experience. Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. almost all of us have, right? Yeah. And here we are telling about it, so that's uh-huh. another indication as well. But there's a curious thing that happens with an edible is that when you, buy, when you eat it, you're, it digests in your stomach, and that's when the 9-delta tetrahydrocannabinol starts to have a little bit of effect on your brain. But secondarily, because the, the THC, the active ingredient, is dissolved in oil, it's then treated by your liver. Yes. And your liver then makes... 11 theta tetrahydrocannabinol, which apparently somehow is 10 to 100 times stronger than just the 9 delta. Yes. Right? And this is that delayed reaction of 45 minutes, and all of a sudden now your body has taken this cannabis and just multiplied it. And how does it do that? Because our body already makes cannabinoids. Yes. Yeah, and I, I get to teach that stuff on the show sometimes, but what I really want to ask you guys about is the culture here. We are okay. in a time when people can now do, you know, agritourism on their farm. And so is how do y'all feel about having people here and, and like what well, what is we, we, the, we your really culture here? We can't do that yet, actually. That's not legal, actually. Well, yeah, you know, um, but I'm saying like these are things. People are starting to plan them. They're starting yeah. Oh, yeah, to. Oh, yeah. No, and it's great. And Canada tourism will be wonderful. It'll be wonderful for our county. Um, we'll probably eventually have to like have a storefront down in the town, though, because yeah. actually, same goes for wineries up here uh-huh. to open it up to the public to come for tastings, et cetera. You have to have a paved road. You drove in our road. Oh, yeah. That would cost a lot to pave it. <laughs> you know, and I you know? always know the crazier the drive into a property, the more fun the experience is going to be. <laughs> but then you come it's down through it. this woods and back yes. and forth, zigzagging, zigzagging through the woods, and all of a sudden, it just yes. opens up. No, it's so, so worth it when yeah. you get here. So the tourism, I mean, we love the idea of getting, especially at harvest time, for people to come out and get to see what it looks like for plants growing. They've smoked them all their lives and never even seen the plant, a lot of people. Uh-huh. And that's really a joy to do. But there is, you know, a few things to consider. It's not like um, going to pick your own strawberry farm. <laughs> well, it might happen in it's the fall. Like, you might well, have a pick your own. Uh, what if you have people ounce? come and they have <laughs> yeah. to come trib? Yeah. Well, see, no, no, but see, no, there's legalities oh, now okay. that we're dealing yeah. with. It's a very different business than it was just yeah. two years ago. It's um, everything is as legal as any other business now, if not more so. Mm-hmm. We can only trim in a commercially permitted building, which we, of course we don't have here. We live in the middle of nowhere. In fact, yeah. we have to get all our buildings are getting permitted yeah. now, but they're not commercially permitted. So, so we have to send our product out to get trimmed and processed and packaged. See, this was an important part of the culture you were asking about, is that normally what would happen up here in the mountains, an isolated little farm, we have a community, we know each other and so on, but everyone during harvest kind of centers around the actual harvest. So we would have, you know, four and five people who would come up and help us with harvest. Dear friends, people we've known for a long time. And, you know, of course, we'd all pay them and so on. And then they would sit in, the, after the harvest, they sit in our back room and there's four people back there and they're trimming. Uh-huh. And it's like, click, 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 And all these scissors are madly going. And like some of them, they, they, they like to sleep till noon and work till midnight and they listen to music and, you know, then they take a walk in the beautiful fall color and so on. And it's just, it was really cottage industry in almost its perfect definition. It was really home. 
And then we have, during the summer up on top of the hill, we have a little open area plaza kind of thing, dirt place, where we have an open air market on every Thursday up on top of the hill. And people bring their local produce, their goat cheese, what have you, and maybe bake some bread and so on, bring some honey or like that. And that's just our local little thing. And then just last night, there was a gigantic Halloween party up on top of the hill. Oh, that's so fun. Now, the other part that's happened with our community, because as Nikki was talking about, there's such a change that's happened. Mm -hmm. So five years ago, nobody in the community would talk public about cannabis at all, period, nothing. You could be in the parking lot and in that safe way or more likely in the, in the health food store. And you'd see somebody you've known for 20 years and he knows you're a grower and you know he's a grower. And you'd look around both shoulders and you'd say, how are your girls doing? You going to take any in soon? And that other person would look over their shoulder and see if anybody was listening and say, no, I think I'm going to wait a week. And that would be it. Yeah. And then at a certain point, all of a sudden, it's become obvious that it's really going to be legal. And starting in 2014, Nikki and I were going down to the Board of Supervisors, along with a number of other people, for sure, and saying, hey, we're cannabis growers. Yeah. And filing, uh, you know, we, we were signed up with the, with the sheriff's office in 2011. We signed up for permits for, for growing cannabis. So, uh, but it was a huge thing. The first time... I actually sent Nikki in to, to do the sign-up for this, Sheriff. <laughs> she was game Here, for it. Here, take her! <laughs> <laughs> Tell him my name. All right, so <laughs> she got the zip ties from the sheriff and so on. But uh, anyway, it was all a, a whole sort of change of culture. And now, in the old days, uh, the biggest secret was who's the grower, all right? Mm-hmm. For the grower, their bigger secret is where they got their water. And to a certain extent, for the grower, their secret was who did they sell to, mm-hmm. all right? But every grower needed to only know one or two, maybe three buyers at the most, mm-hmm. right? Coming up from Berkeley or San Francisco or from Oklahoma or wherever. And most often, that buyer would take almost all their whole crop. So every grower only needed to know one or two dealers. Right. And every dealer needed to only know four or five growers. So that how it was so compartmentalized, right? And then that dealer would go back to whatever city and they would know maybe three or four or five sub-dealers. And then those sub-dealers would eighth and quarter it out to all of their friends, right? And so it was just like a huge network that was, was totally secret. Yeah, I was on the receiving end of that. Yeah. I had the guy that would come in with a duffel bag. He would make house call to yeah. my condo yeah. and have like six or seven different kinds and oh. be like... These are from Colorado. Yeah. These are from California. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I appreciated oh. that system. Right, right. <laughs> but see, it's oh, an amazing so system in that it was free market capitalism. Mm-hmm. The market was totally determined by the quality of the product, right? And it was self-policed, right? And the fact of the matter is there was no advertising. There were no brick-and-mortar stores. There was no board of directors, no advertising campaign, no bank accounts, no credit cards. No Coca-Cola trucks delivering, right? So this was an amazing achievement to deliver all of that to every, what do you say, condo and every... Yeah, in Texas. <laughs> condo in Texas. Right. Every garden that. apartment in New Jersey. I mean, yeah. come no, That's on. really sweet to hear because you wonder that as the grower, you know, it, where is it going to go and who's going to smoke this bud and is the trimmer you're making her look pretty and you're thinking, yeah. who's going to actually be the person to smoke this? It's your little you know? message in a bottle you're putting Yeah. Out. Who's going to get yeah. this? No, it's a very good feeling. So you want to put that good energy into it from... 
the very start. Yeah. From yeah. The so yeah, we talk about the vibe beginning. around the trim table, you know, it's kind of is infused into the flower, right? And that was that whole kind of down home feeling that we had up here in the mountains. And, uh, but it was also, you know, a, a kind of an in the know secret society. It's like you all knew who was doing it, and there was a certain look you had, a certain way you talked, and so on. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it started to get legal, right? First here in 96, 1996, and then in the Colorado and so on. And after a while, the logging industry died up here, right? So an awful lot of people who would seem to be not stoners or, you know, pretty straight, started to say, well, yeah, I can grow 20 plants, 10 plants in my backyard, and I can buy new Nikes for my son. And so that transition happened, and you'd see the most unsuspecting little old lady standing in line in the supermarket with... Little nuggies in her hair as she's been <laughs> trimming tra- pot all Because that was a major job as well. You know, people yeah. would get $15, $20 an hour. That yeah. was mm-hmm. way above minimum wage up here 10 years ago. And huge numbers of people would be employed just to hand trim all this stuff because there wasn't any machine trim yeah. or anything. No, no, it's really, it's cutting into the economy right now. It's a hard thing because there's just not the jobs that there used to be and people are leaving. Everything has to be so underground again for all of the black market people because that still certainly exists mm-hmm. and and will for a few years until that, you know, until taxes go down. That's what they yeah. really have to do. But see, that we used to think that there would be about 10,000 growers in Mendocino, mm-hmm. right? There have been estimated 60,000, 70,000 growers for the state of California, 15,000 in Humboldt, what have you, right? So now in the county of Mendocino, estimated nine to 10,000 growers as of 2017. As of now in 2018, there are 240 permitted, temporarily permitted growers in Mendocino County. 240. There might be a few more this week or next week, but probably not. So that means there are over 9,000 people out there who were making their living from cannabis, and probably most of them still are to a certain extent. Well, a lot have left. I mean, there's and certainly many a, have stopped growing. A lot of we real know a lot of people, especially right the old old timers. They say, "Okay, I probably have enough to get through, and I'm not going to bother anymore." What have people moving out? Real estate is selling up here, but it's actually it's not selling. Listings are way up, sales are way down. Prices are dropping. Storefronts are closing in towns. It's really actually a major, major economic change up here. No, we're really watching. I mean, so when you get to our age, you you know, by now, Swami and I both are fascinated by history. So when you look back in history and you see how, you know, villages and cities are born and then die. Empires are born and die, right? Leightonville, which, you know, blink and you miss it. It's a tiny town. But like up here where we are, it's born and died. And it's going to go through another cycle right now. And, and I trust it'll come back like Napa Valley mm-hmm. for cannabis in a few years. Give it um, 10 years, 15 years, yeah. maybe. The it's thing is, take. a lot of the old timers are going to be gonna gone. Happen. That's and, the difference. And, and when people really realize that there's a destination here and there's a history also that people want to hear about the history of cannabis and how it happened. I mean, people are already talking about museums, the 420 Museum and all these things that will be happening. So that cannatourism will happen and it will become available in those other ways where people can go on Highway 101, there'll probably be some great little places where you can stop, you know. I don't, mm-hmm. you probably can't smoke. I don't, 
Well, they do it in wine. Wine is more impairing for yeah. driving than cannabis yeah, is, but, that's for sure. You know. But see, we also uh, fantasize things about how, you know, you can you know, have a little fantasy weekend on a, a, a recreation of an illegal cannabis farm, you know, like those old museum villages back east where you can see what they you look like. You get woken up with helicopters, helicopters overhead. Helicopters flying over. <laughs> you can carry a bag of soil on your hands and knees under the bushes, exactly. right? You know, there'll be <laughs> marijuana rustlers coming in and traps like, and just recreate the whole feeling of what it was like to be so underground and so at risk. Uh, that would be a cool boot camp to send your kids exactly. to. No, or that's something. what we, we call it. Ganja, ganja boot camp. Ganja right. boot camp. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, and you had to do all sorts of things. You would put out trip lines to keep the, the rustlers out. You would have to you know, go by a different trail into the woods each time so it wouldn't be visible from a plane flying overhead. Uh, there were a lot of things. Yeah. People would people would piss in a bottle all winter long and use that urine for fertilizing their plants because it's full of nitrogen and so on and urea. All these different kind of things. They go into the forest and make make their own soil, uh, things like that. So people had to be really resentful. But the funny thing is, is that actually those are not the pissing in the bottle part, but <laughs> it's um, coming back again. You know, yes. that people are wanting to get back into the regenerative living soil. Yes. But back then it wasn't by choice. Back then it was because if you went to the garden store store too often to buy too many bags of soil and you know bottles of nitrogen solution or whatever it was it became obvious that yeah, you, were you were a grower target, yeah. yeah yeah and there used to be feds that would you know hang out outside of the certain well, stores you know, the phones would yeah. be tapped and so yeah. on but no it was a real thing it was yeah. a it was a war zone up here for a yeah. while yeah. back in those days so people do want to hear about that it's kind of interesting yeah. the whole you and know, the and the price period. per pound was 5000 5600 5, a pound and, you know, people would come up here with this, the legendary suitcases full of cash, smoke one joint and take everything you had and go to your neighbor and do the same thing. Uh, and But, you know, those kind of times are gone. But now the black market is coming back, as Nikki said, because uh, so many of the people have, you know, not been able to get permits. Last year, the price was down six, seven hundred a pound. And we've heard now it's going back up to twelve mm. on the on the traditional market, people uh-huh. are calling it, or the free market. Yeah. Okay. thousand a pound. Nikki's the numbers one over here. So, yeah. uh, but anyway, it, it's what's happening now is a whole change because, like I said, the grower was always the secret, and the grower's biggest secret is where they get their water. Uh-huh. Now, for the grower to get a permit, they have to identify exactly where they get their water and how much they use. So this is this is good for ecology and the environment because we've had drought here, and we should really know who's using the water for what. But I would argue that I was just reading that in Napa County, the water allocations for wine. And in Napa County, wine growing is considered the highest, most beneficial use of Napa County's water. And the whole California thing, all the whole use of water is based on the beneficial use of water. Now, as much as I used to love wine, for health reasons, I can't drink it. But the fact of the matter is, I would argue strenuously that cannabis growing is a higher beneficial use than wine growing. I would argue that. Right? Yeah. Because of the medicinal qualities of cannabis, the inspirational, the healing qualities. And the versatility of it. The versatility right. that it likewise From, has so many the entire uses. entire lifespan can right. use it. Exactly. And there's tinctures and, and uh, topicals and salves and ointments and so on. So, that it, you know, in the grand scheme of things, in a hierarchy of beneficial purposes, I would definitely rank cannabis higher than 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 grapes. Uh, and so in that argument, I think the most beneficial use of the limited water supplies of the Northern California region is not so much to grow wine grapes, but to grow cannabis, because it's an ideal climate to do that. 
And so now with all the registration of all the legal growers knowing exactly how much water they use, we can say, well, okay, they're not using the water that they thought we were using. They were trying to blame us for drying up the rivers and causing the drought. And so if they get some real numbers, they'll kind of realize that we use probably a tenth the water of grapes in our county and produce a hundred times the value. So, yeah, that's good. (laughs) I mean, hey, facts numbers are are numbers. Yeah, well, facts don't always count so much, but (laughs) right, I know. So, how do you feel about first? The legalization in 96 or 98, was it? 96 it was. It was 96? Okay, in 96 versus what just happened in January. Your experience going through the legalities of that, Mm -hmm. did they learn anything? Did it get better? It seems like it got worse. No, they're still learning. It's still very, very, very much in the learning process. And did it get better or worse? The... um, it's, it's not a more, learning curve they're going through. It's a learning corkscrew somehow. <laughs> other. I don't know. Yeah, no, and it's it's, it's well, no, me, there's me, a different thing. In '96, it still didn't feel totally legal. You know, it was still it was very still risky. Well, but the, the feds, you're like, are y'all kidding? Well, yeah, but no, 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 the feds were still <laughs> yeah, coming right, in that's back true. then. Well, so it was the wink, still, wink thing because what? Well, yeah. But see, if you actually go back and read Proposition 215, it's only two paragraphs long. Yeah, that's and funny. all it really does is say. There probably are medical uses for cannabis. People will be using it. We want to let them have that. It really didn't say anything about who was going to grow it, how it was going to be transported, how it was going to be sold. It was referred to as the miracle ounce. You as a patient were somehow not guaranteed, but assured that you probably wouldn't get arrested. That's where it was at, right? That was in 96. But for the people up here, it was almost really like a liberation, Mm-hmm. It was a sort of, wow, maybe it's okay, right? Well, that's when we started to grow in full. No, it was a little after that we started. No. We didn't start full now, there was another bill in, in California Senate called 420, and I think that was 2003 or four, something like that. And that purpose of that was to secure more access mm-hmm. for people to have their cannabis. And it said a little bit about being able to grow it, but still nothing actual regulations about it. And then uh, I think around nine or t- 2009 or 10, uh, when Jerry Brown was attorney general, he put out the so-called attorney general's guidelines, which said if you established a co-op or a collective and then a, distribu- a distributor would be also, or a, d- a retailer could also be a dispensary collective, under that guise, it sort of became a little bit more legal, Right. But now what's happened with the full legalization, so to speak, in 2018, January, there are people who are starting to talk about that as an extinction event, right? That so many people went out of business because of that. Yeah. 1996, all of a sudden, a lot of people said, wow, maybe we can get away with it. In 2003, said, wow, we really can, right? And then here in Mendo in 2010, we had the zip tie program. It's a full sun. Here we go, man, right? Now, still people got arrested, but it was always only that kind of 10 to 15, not even an 8 to 10 percent people got arrested, sort of a gentleman's agreement. No, I'd say less than that. Less than, yeah, okay. Four to five percent of people would get arrested, and everybody in the county was kind of cool. Yeah. Right? They got a new pickup truck. You know, there's a lot of people getting jobs in the Safeway. Every carpenter, every plumber, electrician was at least like 20, 50% of their business was for cannabis. So the whole county was riding on this secret. Mm-hmm. Right, that was producing at least half the revenue and at least half the jobs for the county, and everybody was not talking about it. Right, and then all of a sudden, 2010, we got zip ties, so now you can more or less, according to the sheriff, legally grow 25. 
and maybe 99 with a caveat to say, well, if the feds come, we're not going to stick up for you. Got it. Now, 2018 comes, and all of a sudden you need all of these permits. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not just the sheriff coming for you anymore. You need an agricultural department permit from the county, and you need an agricultural permit from the state. You need a, a permit from the Planning and Building Commission for your buildings in, in the county. And then you need the approval of the Fish and Wildlife. And then you need the approval of the Water Resource Board. And then you need a, the Water Quality Board and all these things. Now, that's like five organizations now that have to inspect you and require a fee and so on yeah, and so forth. Yeah, it all costs a lot of money. Oh, it costs a fortune. Yeah. Well, what do we figure? We're 120000 now. We don't even have lost track of how much we are coming into compliance. And a lot of that is for experts. Help, right. right. CPAs, bookkeepers, how many lawyers do we have? Uh, we have a compliance officer. We have someone working on the track and trace. And then also we have engineer and uh, forester to get our water permits and so on. So all of that costs money to go with the permits, right? For us, it's been a learning process because we now are more aware of our environment and how we relate to it. And we've actually been, you know, doing what they tell us and realize, well, actually, you know, that kind of makes sense and doing that. Well, and I've talked to some people who they've blown through their nest egg and they're like, I, we barely have any money left and we've got two kids and we've been doing this for 10 years. A lot of people are like that. For a lot of people up here, it was kind of their second thing. They might've had some other way to make money and that was their little side thing. So now they don't have that. So everything's just tighter. Mm -hmm. And then for a lot of people, it was everything. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's why for us, we've just had to be clever and figure out how Swami Select is going to survive because this is what we do. I mean, we do have the option. We could always go to India and drop out and sit on a hill, I guess, you know. It doesn't I mean, sound half bad to me I some know. afternoons. <laughs> Can we not do both? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, this is kind of that. This yeah, is yeah. that mountain this retreat up here. Yeah. It's really quiet. Right. Uh, the thing is, the yeah. new cannabis environment is we've had to look for investors, investment money in order to meet the requirements. In order, in the past, you know, you'd take your, your cannabis to, uh, well, when we were, we were selling to Harborside, right, the biggest yeah. retailer. So we would take them a two-pound bag in a, in a turkey oven bag, right? And then they would weigh it out and so on and so forth. That didn't cost us anything, the packaging. Now we have our packaging. You've seen our little bottles and so yes. on. Those bottles are expensive. Paying someone to put the label on and put the top on, and how pay them someone to design the label, all of that sort of stuff, and then actually someone to hand put the So all of a sudden our packaging costs are skyrocketing compared yeah. to what it used to be, right? You deliver a lid in a sandwich bag. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of packaging costs there. Now it's got to be in a childproof container with this label on it, this warning on it, and so on and so forth. Well, it's it's, and it's tempered. creating so much waste, it just right. gives me heartburn. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, with our bottles, we're, we're, we're going to hope that they set up a situation where you can bring our bottles back like Yay. the milkman used to do, right? Yes, Recycle the bottles program. and so Because it. our jars are very special. They're not black, although they look black. They're actually ultraviolet. And they only let in the beneficial ultraviolet light. So they preserve and help cure and age the cannabis once they're in our jars. Right? Ooh. Yeah. That's excellent trivia. Yeah, they're apothecary yeah. jars. Nice. Apothecary jars. So they cost a lot of money, but they're worth it because they preserve the cannabis at a level. We also put a freshness seal on the top of the lid, a jar, so that when you open it as the customer, when you open it, you know you're the first one who opened that since mm-hmm. it was actually put in the jar. Um, it used to be a state bottle, but now we're having a special bottling center put up. But anyway, this is something that's, you know, it's as fresh as it can be. Yeah. You know, the other thing is, 
you know, we're, we're kind of always doing little home research projects over the years and looking into the aging cannabis, right? So in these jars, it ages very, very well. And so you keep it in there and don't open it up for maybe a year and then open it up. The smell is fine. That I mean, it's amazing. The texture, all of that's exactly the same. The actual compounds will have shifted though. You know, there may be probably is more CBN at that point, which mm -hmm. is going right. to have a slightly different effect, the whole thing. And actually, we tend to smoke our cannabis into the next year quite late because we like it well-aged. So right now we're still smoking 2017, even though we're harvesting 2018. And it's the 2017 yeah, vintage. Yeah. Exactly. And, and the reason, yeah. I think that's really part of the reason when we do smoke it with people that often have problems and makes them cough. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, I, I gave up years ago smoking joints because it makes me cough. They'll smoke our joints and they don't cough. And I think it just mellows it out is what well, happens. You get this mellowing Well, there's many reasons. First of all, it's completely yeah. organic, totally pesticide-free, grown in full sun with natural products. And also, it's been aged, like Nikki's saying, and cured properly. And... And there's nothing in there that could possibly uh, cause you any harm. And so you can just totally celebrate what's causing you delight. But the, the whole idea that everything has changed now so much that we're having to create a new culture. Yeah. All right. And so by, we now are involved in meetings. So we have a, 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 a group called the Mendocino Cannabis Industry Association, and it's made up of representatives from dispensaries, retail outlets, nurseries, cannabis growers, manufacturers, tincture makers, hash makers, and so on, right? And so we're working on trademarking our county to a certain extent. Mendocino does grow the best, and here are many, many examples of all these different farms that are doing that, right? And so we go at the various conventions, we have a table, and we show all the different brands of Mendocino County that are doing Is this a map project? That's a different one. Oh, okay. I'm on is that it? also. That's the okay. Mendocino Appalachian Project. Okay. And that is specifically designed not just for Mendocino County, that's where it started, but actually for every cannabis-growing area of the state that each area will organize and do its own research and decide to say that we are an appellation for cannabis and this is why. We have this climate different from that. We have this soil different from that. We grow these cultivars different from those. All these reasons make uh, Nevada City or Grass Valley cannabis special, different from Santa Cruz cannabis, different from... Well, and this is the part that I love about the socialization of cannabis and people being able to share stories right. of the flower that they're sharing with their right, friends right, or right. that they're gifting to someone. Right. And so the fact that people care enough to take the time to really do this, I think yeah. that also will help elevate cannabis and destigmatize it even more. Right, uh -huh. that's true. Uh -huh. Then again, yeah. the, the carryover yeah. to wine. And also it's a, it's a promotional thing for small farmers. Yeah. Because you only get that quality when you have a, a heritage craft grower in small batches, right? And so we're now working with the state and with other county organizations around the, 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 the state to create this California designation of origin, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there people, it's actually taking off right now because there are people in Monterey County, there are people in Grass Valley who are uh, up in Humboldt. And, uh, you know, so these are things where people, hey, this is the most proactive thing that we can do. It's generated, started from us. We're claiming it. It's not the state and we're doing it. And it's not some restrictive regulation on it something like this is showing this and it's also protection for the customer the consumer say this is the real mendo this is the real humble mm -hmm. all right right and it meets these 
standards. Mm -hmm. It's grown in full sun. It's grown in the soil, in the ground. And we're working on, it has to be organic. Yeah. Of course, absolutely. But see, every one of those stipulations automatically eliminates a whole number of growers. Right. Which is unfortunate, but it's also in some ways the point. Because mm-hmm. these are the standards we wish everyone would aspire to. Yeah. And say that this is not only the best way to grow cannabis, it's the best thing for the planet. Right. All right. Yes, elevating the craft, elevating the culture. Right. Yeah. And so that's what we're on now, and that's why we have these public meetings, and we're going to conventions. We're going to be at the what is it, MJ Biz Conference yeah. in, in uh, Las Vegas for our first time. But, but this is a whole different group of people that we're now encountering. Yeah. Before it was just, you know, all of us hippies, uh, dropouts up in the mountains. And, you know, everybody had long hair. All the women were, you know, whatever, long hair and whatever. <laughs> everybody had long hair. <laughs> right. Long hair, long beards. <laughs> right. Hair everywhere. But now you hair. go to these conventions and I like 90, hair. 90, well, it's I've not beard. Hair. <laughs> I still like hair. <laughs> gray hair don't care. Gray oh, really? Good. Gray hair look beautiful. Gray hair look beautiful. So anyway, we go to these conventions now and 90% of the people are in suits, right? Mm-hmm. And cl- not so much clean shaven these days, but nonetheless, it's a whole and and actually it's wonderful because they really do seem to uh, welcome us, you know, and it's interesting. Well, because, okay, so this is the beautiful thing. You helped create this first cannabis culture. And so now the cannabis culture 2.0, you're getting to shepherd it in and be like, this is how we need to do this. Everybody's showing up in suits because they've been they've been smoking cannabis for that's true three that's months true. or well no some of them since or, we know people you know. in suits now who said hey listen cannabis helped me pay my way through college well sure right? but I, that's and what now I mean. they're starting to say I want to give something back actually right. to the yeah. cannabis community yeah. that way and that people like you know like yourself who you know you don't look like the typical stoner let me say that for yeah. sure right and yet it's been an ally. Mm-hmm. Throughout your life, absolutely right. It's I an, think she looks like a stoner. I think she looks beautiful, but <laughs> <laughs> I think she totally looks oh, like a stoner. She does. You're right. I would she does. pinpoint her. There's a certain look in her eye. Yeah, we would know. That's the thing. <laughs> Kindred spirit. <laughs> right, right. So at any rate, uh, the the thing is that the, the people are talking about the different extinction events that happened in January first. So a whole lot of people who used to be really part of it are now not going to be commercially part of it. They might just grow their own at home. They'll still be making their little tinctures for their little immediate family, but they're not going to commercialize it and so on. And then there are those who are then saying, we're determined. We're just absolutely determined to whatever you want us to do, we're going to do it. We're going to, and we're still going to make our, our high quality and we want to make that available to the public. But also we want to, like you're saying, also let's make this a social thing, a communal thing. And uh, that, you know, it's the curious thing about cannabis. It is one of the very few things in the United States of America today that 65% of the people agree on. Yeah. And that's truly amazing when you consider what esteem it was held in just 30 years ago or 10 years ago. And so it's been an amazing long, long journey. And there are hundreds of people who are great heroes in the trajectory of this change. You know, the early, uh, you know, Jack Herrera, you know, uh, Chris Conrad and Mickey Norris and uh, various other people like up here, Pebbles Trippett and... and, uh, 
Tim Blake, all these people who came before us who've just been really, really, you know, Tony Serra, Dennis Perrone, all these people, right? These are some of the names that could be lost to history in a certain way, and we want to just keep, you know, singing those names because those are the people, as it said before, on pond whose shoulders we stand, right? And yeah. so it's very important. Dale Geringer from Normal and various other people who are more local, so on. So, yeah. So, we, you know, but it's not over. Yeah. Right. We're still both a movement and an industry yeah. now at this yeah. point. There's still many states. It's still federally illegal. And there's a whole kind of interesting – there's an interest now on the level of the United Nations and the World Health Organization. And this is stimulated by a concern about opioid addiction yeah. and the possibility that maybe cannabis has a role to play in altering that scenario. Absolutely uh, yes, it does. Yeah. Anybody yeah. that – knows anything about cannabis yeah. knows that right. it is the solution. Yeah. It's well, right. it's a part of the solution at any rate. And wow. there are ways to which we yeah, can make it much more a part of it, for sure. Now, the other part for the United Nations, they have a whole program of a part of the United Nations for what they're calling sustainable development for third world developing countries. And now we're submitting a document for that supporting the idea that cannabis cultivation and cannabis uh, manufacturer is such an amazing local economy stimulus that it one of the ways in which women in small villages can make tinctures and the men can supplement their income by cultivating all the different ways that most of the cultures of the world already have cannabis. Right. And you consider the sources, you know, Jamaica, Nepal, you know, Morocco, all these places, all the different world religions seem to be in there as well, right? So through the United Nations, using that as one of the ways of going to sustainable agriculture through cannabis with remedial agriculture, that it's a small town stimulus. Yeah, right? I think that's beautiful. I like and that. so that, and one of the things to go along with that is to take the concept of appellation of origin for cannabis and say, well, let's put it to Jamaica. Let's make sure Morocco has it and Lebanon has it and Afghanistan and Nepal. And they all say, this is genuine Nepali ash yeah. and make that a worldwide right. recognized thing. Yeah. It worked for wine. Why wouldn't it work? Well, yeah. And it's actually in place. It's pretty obvious. It's in place yeah. already because those, you know, those of us who are really in, into hash can pretty much say, oh, well, that looks like it's Manali or Parvati Valley or maybe that's Nepali or something like that. So all these different uh, nationalities have a distinctive way of preparing, and we want to have that even protected as intellectual property, you see, that this is right. a methodology yeah. that then shows that, okay, and it's protected by a local or, or local organization determining all the details of what is required to be given that designation, right? Designation of origin, uh, which is what the United Nations, or actually the European Union is working on that as well, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, all these things are ways to guarantee the small farmer an existence, but also guarantee the quality of the product for the consumer. Yeah. There's lots of exciting things happening totally. with cannabis all around the world. Yeah. And it it is a fun time to be in the industry and be just watching what's happening and really being able to lend a hand in, in creating the culture and creating a, this positive shift of light, yeah. if you yeah, will, yeah, yeah, yeah. into the world, because, God, it's crazy out here. Right? <laughs> crazy. And cannabis is one of the things that just lets us mellow out. Uh, so. And being somewhere like this, yeah. it's like you can 
like really yeah. exhale and just mm. be. Yeah. It's so beautiful. We're finally getting a little light from our own board of supervisors. They just had a recent meeting. We're opening up to some of the proposals that we've been pushing for for about four years. And they may uh, see up in the, in this county uh, so far at the moment, we've only been allowed to grow a qu- less than a quarter of an acre for cannabis cultivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state has a, uh, a minimum, a maximum of one acre. Mm-hmm. We have a maximum of less than a quarter of an acre. So th- we just had a, a, a proposal from our board of supervisors that they are willing to consider upping it to one acre for Mendocino County. Yeah, no, things, things are going to get Things are changing, yeah. It's going to start falling into place, you know. So, Wait, she's mm. taking a smell of some cannabis <laughs> here. That's, That's Durban nice. Line. What, um, what is that one? Durban Line. Oh, okay. It's not that bad in the numbers, Nikki. No, Durban it's nice. Line? It's nice. Mendocino's unique, you know. I mean, Humboldt's unique too. I mean, this was all logging country, right? This was all the the big trees is what they came yeah. here for after when the first white guys came in and very horribly wiped out most of the natives and rounded up the rest and put them into reservations. But then they took over this land and they just cut down all the wood, you know. And they really got into the logging mm-hmm. and ranching. There's a fourteen thousand acre ranch next to us. That's pretty big. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It's huge yeah, in California standards. Yeah, yeah, by California standards, that's really big. Yep. You know, the history up here is pretty pretty fascinating. And and the hippies came to Mendocino about the same time they came to Humboldt. Humboldt's always been a little flashier, is what I'd have to say too. Okay. Like I remember the Garberville, the main town in southern Humboldt, which is more the growing region of outdoor growing for Humboldt County. Hum- Garberville's always been like this very cute little town. I mean, it's just adorable with quaint mm-hmm. little shops and nice little restaurants. And and I remember going through there on a motorcycle trip in about 1975 or something and stopping at this little corner grocery store in what looked like just this very small, sweet little town. And they had all of the best champagne. You know, basically, you got the feeling that you could buy everything you needed but the cocaine in this store. Yeah. You know, yeah. right? That was the feeling. It was the eighties. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, it was the seventies, but it was still it was already starting, and and it was just like pretty astounding. Like, why do they have this here and this? And then you put it together, like, oh, okay, right, this is where the growers came. Yeah. So it's always, but it's always been more flashy. Where Laytonville, you wouldn't have known that if you no. went through Laytonville in the seventies. You know, it was just talking about the rodeo. Yeah. That's about it. It's free country. Yeah. No, really, just it, everyone's very much more low key. So, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. The other thing about Mendo is that in some ways it's further away than Humboldt. And that sounds strange because Humboldt's obviously further away from San Francisco, but Humboldt has a big city, Eureka. Mm-hmm. Humboldt has a whole university, Humboldt State. And Humboldt has its own kind of civilization in a sense. Mendo's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Right. And so it's kind of more remote almost. And there's less here. The fact is that Mendo is just a little bigger than Rhode Island, which has one one and a half million people. And Mendo has 90,000 people. So, I mean, there's hardly anybody up here. And that's why people came up here to grow cannabis. There's far fewer people in this this entire huge county than Santa Rosa. Half the people here in Mendo that are in Santa Rosa. (laughs) No, it's huge. And to visit your friend, you might have to go two and a half hours. I mean, that's that's why we do a lot of phone meetings. Conference oh, calls yeah. are a big deal. Well, I was here. thinking about, I'm like, okay, I see you at all of the conferences and you are, you know, at doing all of the events. And I'm just like, that drive in and out 
Like that's a beating. We multitask. Yeah. Every time we go out, we go to four or five stores or two or three towns. Right. A, I mean, really, you yeah. have to try and do that. Yeah. Well, that's what it was growing up. Our So the grocery store we went to was 70 miles from oh my God. our house. Yeah. Right. And I had four sisters. I and so we're oh really yeah. see we're even more alike wow what, what rank are you um well so it's a blended family so i'm the baby of three and then of the five where two of us are tied we're like okay. we our birthdays are two weeks apart oh, so funny. they called us the babies the baby. oh, the baby. yes the i'm the baby boy. too yeah yeah february and of course i i loved it then i love it now you know it's like you have to be in charge of everything, but when you go home, yeah, exactly. it's like I get I to be the mean. baby. It's so great. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. What's your sign? I'm a Leo. Leo. <laughs> like, Tell by the hair, right? <laughs> oh, why? What did he? No, no. He's just going through the list of you. Know, like, are you, are you a Leo? Story, no, right? no, no, no. Oh, oh, oh yeah, you said February. Leo rising, and that's your hair. And oh, Leo's Aquarius. about the main okay. the hair, yeah. right? Not the only thing, but right. You know, you shine in the in the daylight. <laughs> All right. Well, I like that. I don't know if that's the Swami Select talking or Swami talking. But thank you all so much for um, letting me come hang out with you here. And it's funny how you let that y'all come through. I, you, know, I, you just can't kick that one. Huh? No, and I don't just, want to. Good. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Good thinking. Yeah. Good thinking. Yeah. No, because that's part of you. Absolutely. It's cute too. Sorry, I've been off off yeah. mic. Thanks for thanks for joining us. <laughs> I had to go get the paraphernalia to roll the joint. I have see this. I had an official um, joint tamping tool that was made yeah. specially for me. Right? Nice. And I broke the handle, and I had to put a new handle on it. That's from the actual tree that grows around here, the new handle. But the, the stainless steel tamper is uh, custom designed. This is this is it, Madrone, this wood here. Oh, okay. Very yeah. nice. Madrone in Texas, don't you? I just, well, I am only familiar of it from here. Uh -huh. Maybe we do. I don't know. No lo so. Do you live in Healdsburg? I lived in Healdsburg for my first two years in California. Okay. And then I was in uh, Mill Valley in Marin for two years, living in a basement unit for with uh, one of my single mom friends who was upstairs. Uh -huh. So I learned the plight of the single mother. Wow, that's wow. scary. Yeah, it's birth control. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, that'll do it. And then I moved to downtown Oakland in February. Oh, you do. Wow. Mm -hmm. So now downtown Oakland. Yes, I love it. So, like I near the it. lake more? Or no, I'm in old Oakland. Wow, like near Chinatown and all that. Mm -hmm. Like where New West was. Um, yeah, I'm two blocks from New West Summit. Whoa. Yeah. I love it. In fact, I would. It's did, nice that area there. Lots of trees on Broadway and so on. Yeah. yeah. I, I like it. I, you know, walk around everywhere. You know, I like the diversity. There's that street I, market too that they close off. Uh, yes, once a on week. Fridays. Yeah. yeah. 
it's a beautiful farmer's market and it's affordable. You know, I living in Marin, I'm like, I can't even afford to shop at the farmer's market. Oh, <laughs> the world, yeah. So ridiculous. Yeah. And so, you know, it just feels really real. And, you know, I'm a single gal and it's just a lot easier to socialize well, there in the Mill Valley. A lot of little, nice little uh, storefront no, clubs good. and restaurants down there too. Oakland's quite hip these days. We lived in the city for you. I'm born and raised in San Francisco. And then Swami moved there in the 60s. So, yeah, we're from San Francisco types. And, boy, it's it's great to be able to go back and visit, you know. <laughs> yeah. I still love it always. But, you know, it, boy, after you live out here, it's hard to go back. Well, we actually yeah. lived in India up in the mountains for quite a while, too. That kind of, you know, broke Nikki into living at the edge of the wilderness. In a way. Even though it's the oldest civilization in the world, yeah. we were living, you know, without electricity, without running water and so on. So, How long did you live like that? Well, we actually still live without electricity, but we do have running water now. We well, I want to know, well, but, we for you solar, going, but you but going from San Francisco to that, that transition, how long was it? Well, actually... When we lived in Kosani no, and in Goa. the first time I did it would have been my first trip. That's true. No, I spent it first, my first time was like in 1977. I had about a year over there. Okay, so you had gotten... Did you so run a house at gotten, that time, Nikki? Yeah, several, you know, during the time. And so, <laughs> oh yeah, and it was super... So you had dipped your toe in it already, so you knew oh, what yeah, it, that was that, even. Funkier. But I mean, by the time we went back in the nineties, uh, was it the eighties, nineties, it was well, made a big difference. India between and now between the nineties and now, India is yeah, so difference. much different. But we but, had a little cottage up in yeah, the mountains in the Himalayas that we kept. We stayed up there for three or more months every year, and we keep it year after year. And there was no running water or electricity up there, and so we had to carry water. And then we had a lot of candles and kerosene lamps. Yeah. And at one point, one year we came back and they did have electricity. And then finally, we even had running water by the time That's we started right, staying there. That house did get electricity. Yeah, and running water even, too. That's right. But well, then this when we house first, had no electricity at when first. When we first moved up to here, there was, uh, yeah, there was no bridge. That one you came over, that mm-hmm. wasn't here. And there the just the two buildings with the kind of silver roof were here. Everything else okay. wasn't here. Two tiny little you know rooms. No solar cottage, panels, yeah. no running water, no hot water, no electricity. No, no it's really... But you know what? What we realized living in India and also living here is that for, what would you say, 12,000 years, human beings have lived pretty well without electricity. Right. Well, as you're talking about that, I'm thinking to myself, that's just like life boot camp. Like, everybody should have to do that for a minute. It's actually really nice. I mean, I used to go to India originally because you could escape there and nobody could find you. And, you know, you'd have to, back in the days, you have to write letters, right? You'd actually write letters and it would take two to three weeks for them to get that letter maybe even if it got there at all and all that sort of thing so now though because India what they did was they just skipped right over phones because all these places didn't have phones so they just skipped over phone lines and put in satellites so there's a satellite everywhere and everybody in India has two phones now and they're all on, you know, even every rickshaw driver, every whatever is pulling out yeah. their little cell phone. But when we first went to so India, there were, nobody had any phones at all. at all. When we first went no. to India, if you wanted to make a phone call, you went to well, a post office. And at the post office, you went to a booth and you said, I want to make a phone call. And they said, well, come back tomorrow at 2 p.m. You book it, your call. And you book it, even if it was within the country, but if especially it was overseas, a long-distance call. So you'd go back at 2 p.m. the next day and they'd say, go to booth number 17 over there at the post office. And it would be smaller than a, than a tiny little a phone booth. And it would have a lot, tiny little fan. It would be 108 degrees and, you know, 97% humidity. <laughs> and you'd just barely be able to hear the person on the yeah. other end of the line, right? 
But now, like Nikki says, no, everyone now, has now two we cell can phones. Come here and escape was what I was getting to. Is that it's more, <laughs> right. you know, it's it's quieter and more private here, actually. Yeah. Um, because we don't have cell service out here. Oh no! I mean, I got yeah. a little bit off the road. Well, no, I didn't even once even exiting. I didn't have cell yeah. service. No, no, people don't quite understand that we are not only off the grid, but we're off the charts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I was so glad that you had this, these perfectly outlined directions and you've markered everything so beautifully. I'm just like, Follow yes, you, ta you take the anxiety <laughs> out of getting here. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. living this way is actually the way people have lived for thousands of years and in that process created high culture. The most amazing music, the most amazing painting and uh, literature and so on was basically all done without electricity, you know. I mean, the pyramids, uh, you know, St. Peter's oh, Cathedral. Oh, who knows, though? For all we know, there were aliens there with lasers and stuff. <laughs> so I really, I, there was something. I think you're, you're right not going to tell me there, there were guys just were aliens with, with lasers raking up the pyramids. Mm -hmm. It's well, more what about St. Peter's with, in, in, in Rome? Strobes, Did, yeah. Were they making that? That's possible. You think made. so? Absolutely. Because aliens it, aliens yes, made and, the St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome. No, no, people made that because people that's obvious. I think we're all aliens. Well, yeah, that's true, too. When you go back far enough, absolutely. Absolutely. But, I mean, certain things are still not able to be done. Well, we're all immigrants humans. or descendant of immigrants. Yeah. In every way. So, immigrants yeah. to this planet. Now, oh, we're, be, now this, this is Swami Select right here. This is Swami <laughs> Select. Not, can we say, maybe, if we can declare Donald Trump that he's an illegal immigrant here from another planet. Illegal alien. <laughs> He's an, an illegal, illegal alien. alien. He's an illegal alien because he actually comes from that weird planet where everybody looks orange. Yeah. That one. Yeah. <laughs> You're, oh, I know which one. Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> you are funny. Yeah. Oh, my right. God. <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. And he got here by the seat of his pants. Yeah. <laughs> Sing. Okay. Well, it's been oh. a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, my gosh. Y'all are so fun. It's everything I dreamed it would be. Oh. <laughs> I hope we imparted some knowledge. Some, like, oh, totally. It was such a pleasure smoking a couple of Swami joints with those two. I mean, such a treat. I love getting casually baked and having big talk, but that Durban lime took my short-term memory for a fucking ride, so I hope I made mostly made sense. Thank you so much to Nikki and Swami for inviting me out during this busy harvest season. I want you to know I smoked some more Durban lime before I recorded this so I could recreate my highness and perhaps be talking in downtown Oakland, but be at Turtle Creek Ranch in my mind and soul. <laughs> Here I go again. Swami, I can't wait to take this Durban lime out on a hike. It turns my mind into a playground. And you out there in casually baked land, where everyone is kind, hopeful, punny, and values humanity and harmony in the cannabis lifestyle. <laughs> you can explore the Mendocino cannabis culture and get acquainted with Nikki and Swami. Just follow at Swami Select. S-W-A-M-I select on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, whatever floats your boat. But that's it. Easy peasy. They're efficient. I love it. That said, I'm at casually baked. Hashtag all the time. <laughs> 
but seriously, I share my casually baked adventures using hashtag casually baked. So basically every picture I take, I follow the casually baked hashtag. If you want to follow the casually baked hashtag and use it and let me know what you're doing, then I'll see your busy and fabulous life and get to see the casually baked lifestyle expressed in all of its different forms. All right, back to Swami Select. They will be replenishing their dispensary partners in time for the holiday season. Look for cured and ready Swami Select flower in December. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Trust me. I'll be sure to share Swami Select links and locations in the podcast 60 show notes at casuallybaked.com. You'll also find there Swami's tutorial video for rolling a proper Swami joint. It's impressive. He's a pro. And if you want to smoke more joints with Swami, then tune in to the YouTube video series Smoking with Swami. Now, if that was highly entertaining, I hope you'll share this podcast with a friend. Your ears will one day fund my brand. But until then, this is a labor of love. And every unique download gets me one step closer and connects you and I in this game called life. I'm telling you, this Durban line is good shit. <laughs> we had a time together. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Arnav Gupta. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon. And I'm Saba. And we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout Podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while, while we, we break, break it all down. down.